Hello, you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Zach McCoy. It's your boy, Trav. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, uh, Thursday episode, Thursday, where we take a look at the oeuvre of a one perennial Oscar bridesmaid and knower of cinema, Mr. Martin Scorsese. Zach, would you like to introduce our guest this week? Joining us is returning guest, Christina Reynolds, who is a fun fact film critic, and we're glad to have you back. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Um, covering the aviator this week, I guess I should have asked Zach what we were watching. So let's <laughs> keep that in because I like sounding like an idiot. Zach, what are we watching this week? Well, we're watching the aviator where Marty takes the reins on a Howard Hughes biopic and makes a big, beautiful splash, beautiful splash, beautiful <laughs> splash. <laughs> this is everybody's first time watching the aviator. No, no. Does anybody remember their first time watching The Aviator? I watched this for the first time, I think, a couple months ago. Well, look at that. So, I got the same story. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Zach? Cool. I think this is one I saw in theaters. I didn't check for my stub, but I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters. <laughs> my stub. <laughs> I get to keep bragging about it over and over again, but I was working at a movie theater in 2004, and I saw it while I was working there. Yes. Mm. And I have the poster, I think, somewhere in this house. Ooh. Mm. And I just watched it when the HBO Max is launched, and I saw it was up there. Hell yeah. And I said, I'm going to see this one. Dope. Yeah. All right. That's, that's where I watched it this week. That's right. That's also where I watched it this week. All right. Well, uh, let's do an Oscar breakdown. Break it down. Uh, the Aviator is our most nominated film at the 2004 Oscars at 11. It's nominated for Best Picture, giving the great Michael Mann an Academy Award nomination, uh, but loses to Million Dollar Baby. Martin Scorsese, the perennial Oscar bridesmaid himself, loses to Clint Eastwood for Million Dollar Baby. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, as Howard Hughes, loses to Jamie Foxx in Ray. Uh, Alan Alda is nominated for Best Supporting Actor and loses to Morgan Freeman in Million Dollar Baby. Kate Blanchett, Playing Catherine Hepburn, raised from the dead, wins an Academy Award for her performance in the film. Uh, it is nominated for Best Original Screenplay, which it loses to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Not mad about it. Like Zach brought up in the other one, that is the cool movie award. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no U2 song to nominate in Best Original Song this year. <laughs> Ooh, thank God. Uh, best Sound Mixing, it uh, loses to Ray. It wins Best Art Direction. It wins Best Cinematography. It wins Best Costume Design. Mm-hmm. And it wins Best Film Editing. Thelma! Mm-hmm. Thelma Schumacher. And that's our Oscar breakdown. What a breakdown. Yeah, so like you mentioned on yesterday's episode, it was the most nominated, and it had the most victories, even though it didn't win Best Picture, but it was the yep. most awarded on the night. Mm. Seemed like a favorite going into huh. the night. It's the 2004 Dune. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do we feel about this movie? <laughs> Who wants to go first? Or <laughs> I mean, I'll go. This movie is great. <laughs> I love this movie. Just great? Or should it be more than great? <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, 
I know you have a vast vocabulary. I know when you really love something, you like to throw in a lot of weird Paul-like things. So, <laughs> you know, I wasn't sure if you just thought it was great or... I was just trying to get a kickoff. I didn't want to give away everything up front. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kickoff. No, I, I I do think this film is spectacular, and I think Marty directs the living fuck out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'll say I really liked it when I first saw it, and I still think it's pretty great. Oh, I think it might be another f- slightly flawed masterpiece. I've used that before for Marty. Um, mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I think my main issue really with the film, and it, and it's a silly issue, but I I feel like as great as he is in the movie, uh, Leo was maybe too young for the role. Like that's I don't know, that's my hangup. But I'll I'll listen to arguments against that too. Okay. I was gonna say uh, last time I was here, you all asked me to rank the Martin Scorsese films that I've seen, and I completely forgot The Aviator was a Scorsese film. Uh-huh. Uh, that said, I am a total slut for biographical dramas. Right. So if it's based off something real, I'm there, I'm invested. So I I already enjoyed this movie before I even put it on. So I'm a little biased, but uh, great, great cinematography. I think it deserved that award. Great use of uh, period lighting techniques, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a few issues with it myself, but I think we'll sort of get around to that cool yeah mr trav i i think uh you know leo's performance is great uh it's no don't look up paul no i'm just joking i promise you i'm just joking but um no just piggybacking off of what zach said about him being too young for the role i I think I would stand that argument only if Martin didn't even follow, like he didn't follow his actual life event time periods a lot of times anyways. Like it's already been noted the whole locking himself in the theater didn't happen until he was like much, much older Mm -hmm. in his Mm -hmm. life. So, you know, I don't know if Martin did that because it would to condense time that he had to film his life. You know what I mean? It just kind of like sped things up. Yeah, I, I think I think it also really helps the themes that he's he's going for with Hughes's life, where it's not like Ray, where he's just like, all right, let's get a checklist of things that happened to Howard Hughes. Right. It really brings out the the mental anguish side of Hughes's problems if we get to see that part of his life. Right. And, and I don't know if it's more over-exaggerated than actually what the man was like. Oh, it was. We'll, we will talk about that. <laughs> okay. um, but I was just curious. So, Zach, is there another actor that you think would have been more appropriate or given that critique? Um, you know, I haven't really thought about that, to be honest. I, I'd have to go back and kind of look at some actors from 2003. It, uh, no, because I, like I said, he is so good in it. And it's just like the, after the crash and when he grows the mustache and stuff, I, I just, <laughs> it, it seems like he's a, a young guy playing an older guy. And that's the only, but still, I mean, if he's got like the wrinkles around his eyes and stuff, I don't know how much of that's makeup and how much of it is him like not sleeping or something, but 
<laughs> I mean, that, that did a pretty good job at aging him a little bit. Yeah, the same with but, the fingernails, right? You know what I mean? Like, mm. I wonder, they look so real and so nasty and so dirty. <laughs> I do wonder if, like, he really grew out his fingernails and made them that nasty, you know? Because they're mean, just so realistic. He's the only one you see in those scenes where he has the fingernails like right. that. So that could that could be um, Leo at the beginning of the shoot before right. he cuts his fingernails, That's or true. it could be it could be pickups. And Leo's just the kind of guy that would be like, "Give me five months, I'll grow my nails out. We could do we could do those shots later." Yeah, and he looks good with the hair. You know, the kind of longish longish hair. I like him with the mustache. Yeah. No. Got that real dapper Clark Gable thing going on. I like it. (laughs) Even at his worst in this film, Leo's still looking like super sexy in this film, bro. I'm pretty sure. There's no way you should be having that bad of a breakdown and still look that sexy. (laughs) It is unfair. (laughs) I was just looking at some actors, and um, I don't know if 2003, 2004, Maybe I could see Brad Pitt in the role. I don't know. He, he he's not quite as talented. Aren't they like the uh, same age? Uh, no, Brad Pitt's a little <laughs> bit older, but he he yeah. doesn't have as much of a. I mean, he's got a pretty boy face, but not like a not as much of a baby face. I don't know. Right. Uh, I they they could have. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say because the 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 trajectory of his deterioration. Is, is so inflated in this movie. And I think yeah. that's why they had to go with someone who, because Leonardo DiCaprio, he's a clean, and when I say clean, I mean like he just looks good and they had to mm. really like fuck him up, you know? Yeah. And I mean, Brad Pitt's great, but I think he already looks a little rough. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Especially <laughs> as he's gotten old, like now in 2022, everything you're seeing him in coming out, like specifically, I don't know if you've seen the bullet train, yeah. <laughs> trailer and then the lost city that he was just in. He is looking rough and rugged and somehow still just as sexy as ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's but he's definitely got the wear and tear on him. Absolutely. Yeah. So for the for the sake of the film, you know, Marty, you know, kind of plays with timelines and some other things, like he did it in Gangs of New York, where he took different historical things and put it into mm-hmm. a, a film and it makes it a good film. So maybe I could step away from the the whole timeline thing. Cause as what they're doing in the movie, it, it works again, because there, there's a lot of thematic things going on, uh, especially with his obsessions. Yeah. And that's essentially every time you see him, that's what we're picking up on is whatever his new obsession is, mm-hmm. is making a movie or building planes for the war, but he never really lets go of his other obsessions. So they're still kind of hanging around in the background. Uh, right. And it just shows you the kind of stress that he puts himself under that exacerbates his his mental state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I guess uh, maybe Christina has some background on this, but I read a little bit that I guess DiCaprio hung out with uh, some folks with OCD and tried to kind of like pick up some of their mannerisms and talk to them about what they were going through and stuff. Uh, so it's interesting. I had heard that too, but I've never actually heard him say that in an interview that he's done for the film. Mm. And that kind of footage, I mean, you can find it on YouTube, uh, but I don't think he necessarily was just pretending to be someone with OCD. Uh, If I had to give my own opinion, uh, if anything, 
I know we weren't, we aren't talking about Kate Blanchett, but I know she definitely had a lot of primary sources available to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think her performance, I would almost think her performance was better than Leonardo's. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. I'll, I'll totally give I'll it do that. respect to Leo. Yeah. And, and we talked about this a little bit on, on the million dollar baby episode where I don't feel like it's just her doing an imitation of Catherine Hepburn. She is the embodiment of yeah. the actress. Mm-hmm. For sure. So much so, I, I always say that Kate Blanchett's, or uh, Kate Hepburn is such a great actress that she won a fifth Oscar through somebody else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I I just, man, the, the voice is so, I don't know the words to describe it, but I don't think I could hang out with that all the time. <laughs> I don't, I almost feel like she's never herself. It always feels like she's acting. Like when he has that line, what's the Wait, line so, when they're getting the argument? It's like, do you even know? Or like, yeah, do you even like know that. anymore? And she's like, don't be nasty or whatever. But I feel that way. Like I was watching clips of her to like get a comparison. And I was like, dude, I, I almost feel like this isn't even her that we ever see. She's like always putting on a show. Mm-hmm. It's probably a defense mechanism. I mean, being in the spotlight for so long. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so it's a big production. Lots of like, you know, when the art direction and the costumes and it's just as big as uh, Howard Hughes himself. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this weird? Does this seem weird to anybody else that this is Martin's first $100 million grossing film? Like this is the one. That's that's one of those. If we pause for inflation, how many does he have? Mm. I thought Gangs of New York went over a hundred. I will look that up while we're talking. Okay. Um, yeah, but I I always I always hear something like that, and I think yeah he he made a hundred million dollars in a time where it was a lot easier to make a hundred million dollars because ticket prices kept going up. Right. But like if you go back to like. Uh, something like Taxi Driver. Could that have made $100 million if it came out in 2004? Oh, yeah. Gangs of New York made uh, 193.8. Oh, well, I'm dead-ass wrong then. Maybe some. Maybe it had re- re-released or something. But anyway, it is. this is like where he hits his career finally, where he starts getting some money makers. Yeah. And we've kind of launched into the new, the third wave of Scorsese as I call it for myself, I guess. Um, and he, what well, he wasn't the first one like tapped into direct this either. Was he? Somebody uh, had a, like a passion project. I can't remember. Uh, I was to say you know, there, there was a lot of people trying to get Howard Hughes movies off the ground. Mm-hmm. They had been trying for decades because he's such an interesting figure, but Marty was just the first one out there. Okay. Uh, I, I had read some of the names, but, Honestly, I don't remember any of them off the top of my head. Yeah. Was Michael Mann going to direct it and then step down? And it, it feels like with him being a producer, that's probably true. Because he right. has Collateral come out in 2004. Right. Which is great. Um, yeah. And I could see him stepping away from it to do Collateral and uh, just handing the reins over to Marty, who is somebody who would just be very interested in... Uh, someone like Howard Hughes being the the film buff and the obsessive that he is. So, Christina, do you have any notes or things specifically that you wanted? You alluded to some stuff in the in the early yeah, part. Yeah, let, let's spill the tea. 
I think one of my largest issues with this movie, it's it's also one of the strengths of this movie, but it sort of portrays him as always at the mercy of not just his his illness, but it's almost like he always has all these forces working against him. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. just for example, he came from a very privileged background. Mm-hmm. And when he directed Hell's Angels, he had already he had already won an Academy Award. Like he was already in. Right, right. On the business of making films. He didn't have a whole lot working against him. And and because of that, he was able to convince a lot of people to throw money into his work. It wasn't as hard for him to compel their individuals to work with him as this movie might convince you. Right. Think. It was easier to get that 23rd and 24th camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't as difficult. So I don't, not not to discredit, I know what this movie is trying to do. It's very sympathetic. Right. But in doing that, they do sort of downplay a lot of the privilege that he benefited from at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Because, I mean, even at the dinner at the Hepburns, he, he makes that point of some of us working for our money. And, and it's kind of, kind of a funny comment coming from him, I, I feel like. Well, he is a hard worker. Right. Let's not discredit how hard he works. It's just that... You know, it came from money. It just is what it is. Mm-hmm. They don't really touch on. I know they kind of talk about the drill bits. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. Did did his family invent drill bits? Are they the first drill bit company to go nationwide and make buco bucks off of drill bits? Like they don't dive in the the drill bit situation. They're just like, yeah. you know, you could take your ass back to Houston and do drill bits. Yeah. They keep calling it oil money. Uh, I don't know. Glancing at that now. I I do know I looked up um, taxi drivers. Uh, gross. Like inflation thing. It was twenty eight million, and in two thousand four, uh, that would have been the equivalent of ninety two million. Right. Almost ninety three. Also, I went back and saw that note, and it was a hundred million dollars domestically. Oh, uh, okay. That makes more sense. Right. So, which is crazy to think. I didn't realize Gangs of New York was so big internationally. You know what I mean? I didn't realize that bulk of the money came internationally from that movie. Yeah, I guess that 193, if it didn't top 100 million domestically, then yeah, that's... Right, yeah. Pretty crazy. But this film is gorgeous. I like that, like, as the movie goes on, like it gets like cleaner and more up to date versus in the beginning where it feels old timey. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, I like that, uh, that Marty and Robert decided that uh, they wanted to emulate the, the films of the time. I was going to say, and just like um, bringing out the dead, you know how they had the Miramax logo, but it was red. Was it, mm-hmm. was it bringing out the dead yeah. where they did? The, okay. Yeah. I they I like in this one how they went to the old WB logo, like the mm. old school shield one. Yeah. That was cool. I really dug that. I'm Martin does those kind of things in his films where like it's small, like detail stuff, but like I don't know, it brings me pleasure. I enjoy him <laughs> when he does it. It is actually funny you mentioned that movie because Robert Richardson did the cinematography on both these movies. Right. Mm-hmm. Aviator and uh what'd you say, bringing out the dead. Bring so. out the dead, yeah. Nice. Like Which this is- I just thought bringing out the dead with I know Paul loves that movie. Oh, I love. I it. think it's an like it's a good film. I don't think it's on this kind of level, but 
yeah, it's just funny that he did both because they're both shot. Like, I really enjoy how they're both shot. Yeah. And how they decided to do certain things. They were very, very differently shot. I mean, but they both like matched the energy of the of the film. The yeah, exactly. In the film too. Absolutely. Um, it feels like the biggest production Scorsese's done. Um, the most like action. I mean, he has a lot of films that have action, but it's usually very grounded in, in realism and stuff. And this one, you got the you know the all the aerial shots and the. The crash scene where, <laughs> mm-hmm. God, that that's like yeah, that's, terrifying. That's, like <laughs> that was a pretty brutal scene. Yeah, and his acting and when he's down there in the cockpit and like burns his hands and he's just like on fire. God, it's so good. Pulls yeah, it's his super leg out, Breaks his own leg. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little too easily, if you ask me. But you know, hey, whatever. Started thinking about um, a movie that we'll talk about in the future where he's crawling somewhere <laughs> way in the future From, the way in the future yeah way in the future um also too i i would be besides myself if i didn't bring up um the fact that i've always felt like kate beckinsale was is the most gorgeous human being to ever grace the planet earth in the history of people i mean she has just been my celebrity celeb crush since Underworld, and she is just insanely beautiful. And she looks spot on to Ava Gardner in this film. Like spot on. It's crazy. Good channeling of uh real life folks going on here. Yeah, the casting's really good. Yeah. That's one, reading- thing, that's one thing he usually gets right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was reading a little bit about the Hughes family. His his father patented the two-cone roller bit in 1909, which allowed rotary drilling for petroleum in previously inaccessible places. Oh, so there's the oil comment. Okay. He commercialized the invention by leasing bits instead of selling them. Obtained several early patents for the Hughes Tool Company. So, yeah. Bit of also, money, but they... Sorry. Came by it honestly. Sounds like... I was going to say with the OCD and the the dirty thing, like you could tell his mom's like washing him and he's like nine or 10 at the beginning of this film. And she's like bathing him. And I can tell he probably grew up with like an overprotective mother that like drilled, no pun intended, this stuff (laughs) into into his head. Yeah. Yeah. And OCD can be genetic. So I don't know. I haven't read about his mom, but. I mean, it seems like I'm obviously being in the age of cholera and everything, though, it's kind of hard not to be. And a lot of people, I'm sure, developed OCD in the last couple of years in our, our time. That's kind of it for me, you know, outside of uh, Alan Alda is incredible in this film. Too. Oh, God, I love Alan so, Alda. so good. So is Baldwin. <laughs> Alec Baldwin's so yeah, Alec good. Yeah, Alec Baldwin is so good. God, he's such a scumbag, but damn it, he's so good sometimes. <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Paul, you you mentioned the PG thirteen F word and million dollar baby. I you, didn't. You can um, you can mention them. You got a twofer this week. Twofer. Oh yeah, two two PG thirteen F words. I, I really like this one, where uh, the the hearings are kind of subsiding and right. Uh, Juan Trip is in his office with all the guys, and they're like, 
They're like, oh, well, the hearing isn't over. He's like, yeah, it's over. Now TWA is going to fly from New York to Paris and then Tokyo and then this place and then that place. Fuck. <laughs> it's yep. so good. Yeah. Just that the beleaguered, annoyed tone of his voice. Fuck. Yeah. Did any of these companies turn into companies that we know today? Well, I, when it, it's terrible. Whenever I think of Team WA, I always think of Flight 800. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know what happened to them after the 90s. Pan Am, I mean, that was what, what you would call in uh, Catch Me If You Can. That's what I was, was yeah, doing, right? uh, Frank Abagnale Jr. Pan American World Airways. It's one trip with CEO until 1968. Still going, really. Looks like it. I mean, I don't fly, so I can literally, I can name you Delta, American Airlines, and Southwest, and like, that's it, dude. <laughs> like, it, lo- it looks like TWA maybe not transformed into American Airlines, but it looks like American Airlines bought that company out. They, right. they absorbed yeah. them. From what I'm gathering. Yeah, I think that unfortunately that Flight 800 was really bad for them. It says they kind of ended in 2001, so they were Probably swallowed up, like you said, by American. Yeah. Aviation is interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen. That's all I got. No more notes. Christina, anything from you? Uh, I can't think of too much. I mean, like I said, this was very sympathetic, maybe more in Howard Hughes' favor uh, than it should have been. Uh, but I think the person we can blame for that is actually a man named Charles Higgum that wrote a biography about Howard Hughes in the 90s. Uh, And he actually came under fire for being a very tabloidy individual. So Mm -hmm. I'm not mad at Martin Scorsese or the screenwriter of Aviator. It's it's Charles Higgums doing. That's what it is. Higgums. (laughs) I'm not like a... I'm not going to hold up Howard Hughes and say too much about him, but... From what I've heard, hopefully he wasn't too horrific of a person. Um, well, I, mean, was, I do know I, that he broke Ava Gardner's jaw. Oh, that's, so, that's bad. I mean, bad. <laughs> and I don't really get much more horrific than, you know, there's the only guy, a few acts that are more horrific than breaking your girlfriend's jaw. Yeah. So, got him, okay. got right. him dating a 15-year-old in this movie, or too. dating so. a 15-year-old, <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, God. Okay, never mind. <laughs> So it, it might be a little sympathetic to some of his plights, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily cast him in the most favorable of lights. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the word plagued visionary mm-hmm. used mm-hmm. to describe him. And I think that's yeah. probably the most appropriate because uh, even for all of his flaws, he, he I mean, he did break records. He did set standards that probably are reflected in that industry today. Yeah. And uh, you could see the Spruce Goose at a uh, Spruce Goose at a uh, aviation museum in in Washington. Was the uh, the Spruce Moose spoofed in Tailspin? Was that am I remembering that correctly? Uh, the Simpsons? Maybe maybe it was the Simpsons. Because there's there's an entire Howard Hughes episode with Mr. Burns and the Simpsons where okay he wanted Smithers to get in his Spruce that's, Moose, which that's is just a, right. <laughs> uh, a model, uh, tiny model. Yeah, tiny model. Like, get in. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thank you. The show's brilliant. All right, let's move on to our worsty judgments. 
Christina, you are our guest. So we will ask you, where does the aviator fit into your Martin Thursese rankings? It's definitely higher towards the top. <laughs> now that I remember, it's in his <laughs> videography. Uh, and I think last time I put King of Comedy and Last Temptation of Christ up towards the top. That still hasn't changed too much. Mm. And then I would probably put The Departed and Shutter Island. And then Gangs of New York is, it's towards the bottom for me. And, oh, you know what? Raging Bull's also up at the top, too. So I'm a little chaotic, but <laughs> biographical dramas, then psychological thrillers, and then there's just whatever else he's made. <laughs> the potpourri gotcha. of Martin Scorsese, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Trav. Yeah. Where's the sitting on your Thursday's rankings? Um, I find this, when it comes to stuff like this, I don't care about it being true or not to be quite honest with you um i mean we've said this before what what, what do you call them Fic historical fictions or mm -hmm. you know whatever and i know this ain't like about an event you know it's about more about a person or whatever but um yeah you know honestly i'm cool with them lying it just is what it is i care about how good the film is and this film is so good the acting is so incredible um how it's shot is beautiful it's gorgeous um this would be like a perfect film for me, but that ending is fucking terrible. I fucking hate the end, end ending. And I was waiting till we got to the end to say this. The ending of him just saying, what is it, Futures Now? The Way of the Future. 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 And then it just ends. <laughs> Dog shit, dude. I hated it, bro. I fucking hated it. So... Hey, I, I deducted it half a star, man. I gave it a four and a half star. It's sitting right under Age of Innocence because I cannot just get away from that movie. That I just love that movie so much. And it's right above After Hours for me. But this is one of Leo's top five performances for sure. It is, it is that good. It's that good. Okay. Did you give a number of where it's at? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I didn't. Uh, seven. Excellent. My seven spot. As of right now. You know. As of right now. As of right now. Funk soul brother. We got some <laughs> stuff coming up. Zach. Hello. Where's the sitting on your Thursday ranking? So I actually like the ending. Uh, so we'll say that. But I appreciate your thought, Trav. I won't <laughs> shit on it this time. Um, I'm doing what you should be doing when you don't like something, Zach. Not apologizing. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I need to be stronger in my conviction. Stronger, yes. So I, I'm looking at my list. I think I've got it at number six. Mm. Um, so I'm also gave it four and a half stars. Got I still got After Hours at number five. I, I just can't shake that After Hours. That one's can't so tight and I can't fun. fault you. It's can't it's such you. a fun movie. So, yeah, number six, Mr. Workman. Um, I also gave this four and a half stars, and I also like the ending. So, Trav, you're a dumb dumb. <laughs> Your four and a half stars are probably down in the mid teens, though. No, uh, right. It is. <laughs> it is. It's number fourteen. Your four and a half stars probably like twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> that that just happened to us on the other episode where I was like, I gave this four and a half th stars. It's at thirty six. <laughs> I love movies. 
uh, I do have it at number 14. I, I love this film so much. And I got it sitting right under Age of Innocence, which is just. It's just so good. So good. <laughs> and I got it right above You Can Count on Me, which is so sweet. I love that film. Yeah, that was a good film. Well, I'm going to call it there. Christina, thank you for joining us again. Thank you. We look forward to, we look forward to having <laughs> you around again. Yes. Uh, coming, up on you... a, coming up on a double soon. Ooh. So stay tuned for that. Would you like to let people know where they can find you on the media social? Yes, I am on Instagram at zero underscore complaints. And I am also on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com forward slash zero underscore complaints. Excellent. Trav, where can mm. people find you, sir? That's right. I am, as you know, on the Instagram at ZK Audio. I'm also on the Twitter at T-R-A-V-I-O-S-Z-K, where I'm also on Letterboxd, ranking and rating my daily movie watches. And I finally got to see the A24, quote-unquote, classic Saint Maud, and I was not impressed in the slightest with this movie. Uh, it had a good third act, and that is about it for me. So, that's what I was watching this week, Mr. Workman. Very nice. Zach, where can people find you? Find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, uh, TikTok at House Havoc, Letterboxd by searching my name, and I did watch one other film this week that wasn't podcast-related. I finally watched The Batman now that it was on that HBO Max, and I really liked it. Damn right. Yeah, I'd say it's in my top three Batman movies. That's, I think, it's Paul, I saw you said seven, maybe seven? eight. It's dropped oh, eight. eight. Okay. Yeah. It's my eighth favorite Batman movie. Uh, it's in my top three. It's, I, I get complaints about it, um, but I really, I, I'd always kind of wanted that dark detective approach. Oh, for sure. Uh, so, well, well, that exists already in. Plenty of other Batman movies. <laughs> uh, what did you say you it's added at, Paul? Uh, my eighth. Oh, I have it at my eighth, too. But in all fairness, all eight of those films, I still rank them as five-star Batman movies. So. I, rank, I rank every Batman movie as a five-star Batman movie. <laughs> That's fair. I only have two five-star Batman movies, which are Dark Knight and the 89 Batman. That's, that's me. Which are, which are my top two. Yeah. And then Mask of the Phantasm, which is a dark, gritty detective movie. I, uh, I, I, I can't believe that I have actually never seen that. You know, it's insane oh, it's that I've never seen it. It's the greatest Batman movie of all need, time, hands it's down. It's so fucking I need, good. I need so to good. watch it. Right there next to Lego Batman, damn it. <laughs> love me some Lego Batman. I love Lego Batman. That's it's also so yeah, a dark, gritty detective movie. <laughs> <sighs> I'm an idiot. Okay. <laughs> As for me, you can follow me at Father of the Fear across the platforms of Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where I'm ranking all the films that I watch. And this week I watched Michael Bay's Ambulance, or as it should be called, Ambu Los Angeles. Uh, and that movie was dumb and fun. Per, is, per usual. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Per the recipe. It is wonderfully stupid uh 
but I did give it an F for not having a pigeon fly into someone's head like the movie Six Underground. Yeah. Because that happens in the movie Six Underground, and it is wonderful. A lot of things happen in Six Underground. Way too many things. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right. I guess we'll do the Zach, what are we watching next week part of the show? (laughs) Next week, we're watching the Bob Dylan documentary that Marty put together called No Direction Home, which you can stream on Netflix or Sling TV. I believe you mean No Direction Home. (laughs) Exactly. Excellent. So we would like to thank Trav. Trav, hey, you're over there. Thank you for producing our show. Uh, we like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We would like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for her beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and on Facebook, the Oscarsity Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five-star review like I do with every movie ever, apparently, on <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. Come in with the five stars. Come in with the five stars. <laughs> so, for Christina... Trav, Zach, and um, oh god, there's a John C. Riley again. <laughs> John C. Riley, Ian Holm, Francis yeah. Conroy, Brent Spiner, Edward Herman, Willem Dafoe. Jeez, I could go on Forget and on Adam, all day. Adam Scott. Man. Adam Scott. So good. We would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>